Breaking news today, it looks like Ken Holland is set to become the next GM of the Edmonton Oilers, with maybe an increased role for Bob Nicholson. That's not final, but it looks like it will be in the near future. I want to know what the Oilers are about to give up for Danny DeKaiser. <laughs> this sounds like a fun, just the most Oilers move possible. Um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when he shows up. I mean, I could see him rolling into town and be like, hey, you know what? This lock, this roster looks pretty good. Uh, you know, we, we probably are closer than everyone thinks. Uh, is Steve Eiserman just laughing all the way to the bank right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> what's happening is that we're th- between 13 and 14 months away from the Connor McDavid trade. <laughs> sure looks like it. I think the internet would melt down if that ever happened. Well, I've been calling it ever since the 18th month mark, and that's, that was six months ago almost, and nothing has really changed. Hockey Twitter would not survive that. Hockey Twitter's productivity that day would be zero. But that's the Oilers. We're not here to talk about them. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. They got nothing but guts. Every guy with three big old cow hearts, two pancreases. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for May 6th, 2019. Colorado Avalanche are down 3-2 to the Sharks, and we've had a packed week, so we've got a packed show. But before we play the Woosh, of course, we need to hear from the disembodied voices. Who are Earl 06? Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Tiger Mixon. Hello to Jackie. Howdy. And Rudo's back again this week. Hello to Rudo. Hey, hey. It's kind of hard to remember individual games earlier this week because every game this series has followed the same pattern. For a while, nothing happens. San Jose gets more shots, but they're mostly shots for the sake of shooting. Maybe there's goals, maybe there isn't, but somewhere in the middle of the second, things finally open up. There's good pace, good action, terrible penalties called. The third period is spent with a trailing team trying but failing to generate enough to win. That's the story of the series, and it applies to pretty much every game. So let's start all the way back on last Sunday. Avs win game 2, 4-3 over the Sharks in San Jose, which was their third win in that building since 2009. All your regular players got goals in this one. Gabe Landeskog, Tyson Berry, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Matt Nieto now is apparently a regular scorer. Also a two-assist night for Matt Calvert, including one on McKinnon's empty netter, which became the game winner as Brent Burns scores a fake goal with 10 seconds left. This one started really slow, but Colorado was able to open things up in the middle of the game. They broke through San Jose's absolutely stifling neutral zone. And this was a really important win to bring home. How did they do it? They had the most goals. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I think it's more the depth that did it. Because for maybe like the first time this whole year, the Avs figured out that when you dump the puck in, you actually need to have your chasers get like a head start instead of standing at the blue line. So when they dumped the puck in to get through this stupid, stupid trap, they actually had people pressuring and forcing turnovers deep in the zone. And I mean, ultimately, they had some very pretty goals from their big guns, but it's those depth players that wear them down for you. I think this was the game that Barry was really good in, right? 
this was the one it he had three sure points. Yeah. So I think this was kind of his apex. This was also the game that Calvert and Nieto really shined, and, and Calvert, of course, took that huge hit from Burns to spring Mac for what turned out to be the game-winning empty net goal. And obviously, this- since then, he's missed two games, so, but um, you know, he was very effective during that game. And Two you know, non-consecutive I, I, I games, think- which is interesting. Yeah. But I think that also, it, it broke up the narrative a little bit that the Avs are a one-line team have no depth or anything like that. I mean, I, you know, I think in both series that <clears throat> guys like Nieto and, and Wilson and Calvert um, have stepped up enough that, you know, it's not like it's just a wasteland beyond the three-headed monster. I think this is the game that was more like a regular season game. I feel like the other games that followed it were more like you could call classic playoff games. This was so this was the one where the Avs were able to get the two goal lead and then then the fun at the end of the third period, if you call it that, where Sharks kinda had their two bullshit yeah, goals. This wasn't and- really a four three game at all, was it? No. But it was cool it turned out like that because you had an empty net game winning goal with a goalie assist, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> goalie points are like my favorite thing. So, yes, shout out to Grubauer for getting an assist, even though he was like the fourth touch before that play. Before the goal. <laughs> One more point than Derek Broussard. Hey, oh. Okay. <laughs> All that's right, cool. That was man. actually. That's that my one. I won't mention it again. <laughs> <laughs> that was Gruby's first point with the Avs and only his second in the NHL. So, well done, sir. It was like Grubauer to McKinnon to Calvert to McKinnon to Calvert to McKinnon. So, NHL scoring is weird. But I guess they give latitude on points. Any, anytime you can give the goalie a point, I think you should. Because it's just awesome. Yeah. But this game was big for the Avs because they had to win in San Jose. They they had to slay the dragon. They had to at least make it a series by tying them, getting a win on the road. I, I think it definitely changed the tone in the series by getting that win, so it was pretty big. I wasn't looking at it as a must win, but... Um... I you know I think it's it's it probably works out better that they alternated rather than going two wins for San Jose and then see what happens in Denver. Um, so maybe yeah, I think uh, we talked about it last week. It was kind of like one or the other. You could lose two, but then you would have to win both games at home. Yeah, I mean, but, it, I, I think it's important, obviously, that it ended up you know tied after four. Um, but I think I think it's good that they proved they could win there. Yeah. I, I don't even... I mean, yes, obviously, they never win there, but I think it was the process of winning and breaking down the trap that was more important than the win itself. Yes. Because the, the reason that Colorado struggles so much with San Jose is that they just get smothered by them. They can't get past the red line, let alone into the offensive zone. So... As the the second game wears on, you get into this middle of the second period and on into the third, you see Colorado's forwards actually hanging low a little bit. 
and being able to assist with the breakout. You see breakout passes connecting. You see the Sharks having to try to generate some offense, so they can't just, you know, ref- bend a little and refuse to break at all. Um, scoring first is really important in this series. It's not everything, but it's really important. We ready to move on to, to game three? Let's do it. I think so. We'll have more to say about later games, because this was fully a week ago now that game two happened, and some of us have probably slept since then. (laughs) On Tuesday, we're back in Denver as game three gets off to an ugly start, too, but this time the Sharks make them pay for it with a two-to-nothing first-period lead. McKinnon and Nieto were able to tie things up, but Logan completes the trifecta, uh, the hat trick, and the abs fall 4-2. Maybe not Grubauer's best night, but he honestly didn't have a whole lot of help either. This was a game that had us howling at turnovers from the defense, and from the breakout having no help. It was just a mess out there, and it doesn't help that this was a cursed game with, like, 500 posts. And worth a mention, yeah. no Calvert, thanks I- to an upper body injury sustained on that big old Brent Burns hit. I think this was the worst game they played thus far. Maybe a lot of people think last night game five was, but I don't think so. This one, they just couldn't get anything going. This was the one that Bednar was very frustrated with the turnovers. With it, just like they couldn't handle the puck, they didn't know what to do. It it was pretty sloppy. Yeah, this gotcha. was before Eric Johnson remembered how to play hockey. So the Abs didn't really have a ton of options defensively, and that kind of leads to them playing the crap out of Gerard and Makar and. While both of them have been great, they're prone to occasional mistakes in the defensive zone, which is totally expected, but they do happen, and that cost the abs early in this one. Yeah, you saw Cal McCarr not really know how defending in front of the net works in the NHL yet, which is fine. It's gonna he, like He's going to figure that out probably within eight months, but that's what happened there. Yeah, I think this was a disappointing game just because after... After making some good progress as far as being able to break out of their own zone and getting through the neutral zone and you know being able to recover some pucks on dump-ins, um, they, they really stepped back in <clears throat> especially the breakout category. And I, I think the rest of their game collapsed because that wasn't working. And I don't really know why that was, if they just had the mentality that they they were just going to be able to generate offense at home. Sometimes when you're at home, you try to get a little fancy, especially after a big win, or do you feel like it was something San Jose did, or did the Avs kind of more beat themselves? You know, that's honestly what what I thought as I was watching that game. It looked like they came out of game two, one-to-one, and said, okay, this is just like Calgary, now we'll come home and roll them. And then when that, <laughs> when that just didn't happen, they didn't really know how to respond until it was too late. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a lot of undisciplined play. I, I mean, the reason the the breakout wasn't working is the forwards were all flying the zone and leaving the you know the guy with the puck all alone, uh, often with two people forechecking him, which is not a good thing. Boy, that's never and happened before. The, just the, <laughs> it's just you know the the support uh, it never materialized, and it's just you know. It's something you could see after the first and definitely after the second period, and it's just whatever the staff was telling him wasn't getting through. Well, I, I mean, think the game itself was a very good learning experience for the team, though. 
Because they did come back in the third, they kind of realized, oh god, we need to kick it into gear, and they did. And then unlike the Calgary series, once they tied the game back up, the Sharks were like, no, this ain't how it's going to be. <laughs> and yeah, just, just mean, that was beat them over the head. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that was definitely disappointing, where even after all of the mistakes they made, then they actually still tied the game in the third period. And, then and it lasted for a minute. Yeah, yeah. they, yeah. they conceded <laughs> right immediately back. because of a bad breakout pass to a forward that was nowhere close. Like, Miko's all the way, but like, center ice. And I don't remember who made the pass in his direction, but they were, like, at the goal line. Like, there's, and there's no one in between them. Was it Landeskog? Yeah. So, yeah. like, you got to help your friends. <laughs> Yeah, and it was Zadorov yeah. behind the net, and he didn't really handle that puck great, but... And then he flew like... the zone, too, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, you're a defenseman leaving a forward all alone in, you know, right there for a breakout. Yeah. I think it was you, Rudo, who said, like, every single person on the ice. Yeah. Zadorov fumbles the puck. Landy YOLO tries to clear it. Rantanen is gone. He's not even in the frame for most of the, the clip. <laughs> McKinnon is flying the zone before Landy has even shot the puck. Cole went for a YOLO change as Zadorov was losing the puck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then even very... Grubauer like leaves the post for Couture's shot to beat him. So <laughs> yeah, you got he gets beaten near side. Like obviously everything broke down in front of him, but you'd want that save. Yeah. And I th- you know, I think along with EJ, that was probably the game that, that he, you know, be least proud of so far. Yeah, the Eric Johnson and Ian Cole pairing in that game was a disastrophe. It was yeah. absolutely awful. They could they could get nothing going except for a primary assist to Eric Johnson on the first Logan Couture goal. Yeah. Um, that was definitely a work of art on that play. It wasn't just the pass, but it was also the coverage coming back. Yeah, he forgot how to skate after he put it right on his tape. <laughs> It was like you uh, you've got uh, your defensive partner, you can make that pass. You've got McKinnon on the near boards, you can make that pass. But no, we're gonna go to one of the wingers. We don't know who. The pass didn't get close enough to them for them to be in frame. Straight to a sandwich. Well, he actually player. couldn't pass it to his partner because I, I'll you know, <laughs> this was actually one of many times that Ian Cole said, Well, I guess I'll just change right now. <clears throat> I must be confusing two goals because I'm picturing McKinnon on the far boards, but now that I remember the segment on like on the intermission, it, he was on the near boards. I'm, conf- I'm confusing two yeah. goals. Pretty easy to do with EJ turnovers on the breakout. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of similar plays in this series, so it is hard to remember exactly which game certain things happened. But EJ has been a bit better since then but he's still being very limited in his ice time like he and cole are pretty much solidly the third pair right now which is kind of surprising and it's hard to call either of the other two pairings a first pair because they're 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 kind of like the the time on ice difference isn't that big between you know tyson berry nikita zadorov and the turn and burn with sam jordan kale mccarr it's uh like they're kind of sharing that duty, which is fine. It will keep people fresher later into the playoffs, but you gotta get there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think some of that's situational. I think what they do is they look at the EJ 
Cole pairing as the quote unquote shutdown pair. And and, and they did depending play a on little... how much that's needed, that's kind of how what, how their ice time goes. And they did play a little bit more in game four, which I know we'll get to, but I still I looked it up specifically before we recorded this. EJ still didn't play that much in that game. And that was the one where you would say Yeah, game four was his best by a long time. They were gonna best game in months. But he still didn't play that much. He he still plays a lot (laughs) short handed. It's like they're saving him for that, which I guess without Nemeth in the lineup it makes sense that yeah, we'll, we'll get to this in, in game, game five, but yeah. But, <laughs> I but mean, he's it, still being very limited at five on five. He is, like, and but it, it makes a little bit of sense, right? Like you have three breakout specialists on defense on this team, and the Sharks' whole game plan is to smother your breakout. So you're gonna play them a lot. So let's talk about. I mean, that I'm not saying it as a complaint. I just think it's a storyline that none of the media has picked up on. I think it's a huge storyline about EJ, not necessarily just saying throw him under the bus, he's been terrible, but a guy that was your number one defenseman for the entire season, he had the most even strength minutes per game, and now he's being played like a sixth defenseman at even strength. I I think that's a huge story. So I I mean, not to change the subject, but I'd like to to talk about the deep pairings (laughs) kind of in general, too. So let's uh, sure go let's, ahead. Let, let's focus in on just this part of it, and then we'll get to the other part of it too. Because Eric Johnson, we we complained for I, I don't know a year and a half that he was being overplayed, and certainly, and we we weren't we weren't begging him to be a third pairing guy. We were begging him to have you know twenty three minutes instead of twenty eight. I think yes. his usage in general over the season was okay. I think he was around 18 and some, even straight minutes per game. Sam was, I think, just about a minute behind, and then Barry was right behind Sam. Like, I think the way that that racked out was fine. I, I think he, he didn't do as many of, like you said, those 28-minute hero games. So I think they had eased him back already to an appropriate spot. But this is certainly another step back. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that a number of the Evs are not 100%. And EJ and, yeah, that... and then Landis Gog would be the two that I'd put at the top of that list. Well, I also Soderberg. think that Makar arriving has allowed Bednar to not have to lean on on EJ as you know, a primary number one defenseman. I mean, I, I, I think what we were talking about the other day on, on this club, you basically have six top four defense. That's a great problem to have. I, I still feel like this is more extreme than just a natural progression of easing him down. I guess we'll see next season how it works. So I do feel like there's got to be a reason why they're just straight up limiting his minutes. And it doesn't seem to be situationally. I, so I just, I mean, he hasn't played a full 82 game season in what, like four years. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, we're right now, this is the most games he's ever played in a season, like going back to squirts, you know? But the thing <laughs> I, is like, he's been not good for no, most he, he has of been the bad. season. Yeah. Like, this isn't like, oh, we're just going to play other people over Eric Johnson now. This is, he has earned his way to the third pair. 
it was like Sam was actually propping him up all season. Yes. Which, you know, the national people and the analytics people would never admit that. But it's true. It was well, that I mean, I think- he was keeping the puck out of EJ's hands, and that was helping him. I think it's, I mean, I, I definitely think that's true, but I also think that, you know, you're looking at EJ and his offense has always been somewhat limited. Um, you know, he's never been more than a, I, I think 39 is his, is, is high for points in a season. I think that was his so rookie like, year too. I mean, it's really more like 30. Right. Yeah. He's not a, I mean, he's not a, I wouldn't call him a 40 point guy. I mean, he's more like a, a 30 or high 20s guy so it's like with the the limited offense that he brings you'd rather save him for more defensive situations and and not really you know count on him to provide points and you know when you when you have sam and mccarr and big um you know you 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 have the option of of not putting ej in situations where he's going to not produce for you (laughs) (laughs) I mean, another factor here that we're not talking about is Zadorov has been straight fantastic all playoffs. He sure has, which is, which is part of what made what happened in, in Game 5 so frustrating. Um, but, well, but Zadorov has, has basically taken Evander Kane out of this series, just like he basically took Johnny Gaudreau out of the last series. Yeah, that's a fun little battle, isn't it? Well, Zadorov's with Barry, and that was a pair that worked in the playoffs last year, and it is kind of crazy that they went away from that pairing for the whole regular season, then put it back together, and then it was like, hey, that works. Imagine that. And it's basically the top pair, so... Yeah, they do get more minutes. I do think what they learned as far as being a pair together against Nashville last year is helping them now. Um, why that didn't sort of work out in the regular season is, is sort of a mystery, but you know, it happened and <clears throat> whatever, but I, it's working now. And I'm, you know, I, I like the way the dynamic of having Z being able to, to take out somebody like Kane or Gaudreau or, you know, whoever needs to be taken out happens. And then Barry is, you know, his defense is a lot better than, you know, we, we give him credit for like a lot of the defensive mistakes that we usually chastise abs defensemen for during this series. You're not hearing people say, geez, Barry, you know, I mean, it's like, he's tailed off a bit, but no, he hasn't had one of those games, which he had last playoff series where it's just, you know, those turnovers that just make you say, why? On, on Zadorov, I I wonder if the regular season was like a specific coaching request, kind of, because through most of the regular season and in years past, the idea you kind of ran with Zadorov is okay. He's going to lay some big hits down, and in the defensive zone, he's kind of a seventy-five twenty-five guy, where twenty-five percent of the time he's just going to brain fart, and <laughs> he has cleaned yeah. that up significantly. <laughs> as the year went on and especially in these playoffs it's more like a 90 10 and then on top of that you get into the playoffs and you let him off the leash a little bit so he can start blowing people up so it it seems like you know i don't know if this was how much the coaching worked with him on it but he's moving in the right direction and it's finally shown through in these playoffs besides that 10 percent 
One thing I found interesting is I was looking at, at defensive zone face-off numbers, straight counts, not rates or percentages or anything like that. But going into game five, EJ Cole, Zadorov, and Barry were all around the same number. They were, they're all around 55 def, um, defensive zone faceoffs each through the first four games. So, you know, yeah, they use EJ and Cole as sort of their shutdown pair, but, you know, it, Z and Barry are taking some tough minutes as well. So the reason they do that, and this is why I wanted to talk about the pairings in general, is because those are the pairings that have someone who can exit the zone. Earlier in the season, we would have talked about Eric Johnson as one of the only Avs that can exit the zone. But with that you know, falling off a lot as the season has gone on, your your reliable zone exiters are Sam Girard, number one, by, by a wide margin, and then Barry and Makar. So as, as the struggle becomes, you know, we can't get out of our zone against this team, um, how long do you keep Makar and Girard on the same pairing regularly like obviously you want to try to get them both on the ice in the offensive zone if you can but just for a general shift like do you I think, need I think you should. break out out we've already I, seen them starting to move away from it there were a couple of shifts in game five where it was back to sam and ej so and then yeah, they put my car with, right out there with the, I, I saw um sam with uh zadorov twice too <laughs> i think i think in the the early part of the playoffs, or at least the series, they were a lot more, um, you know, strict with their pairings, which was a bit un- is a bit unusual for them because we do see them mix and match so much. So I don't think it's so much that they don't want to keep Gerard and Makar together as a pair. It's just maybe because Makar is finally comfortable enough, they can begin to start their pair shuffle, yeah. which they seem to prefer i agree with that i i think for the first six seven games of Makar's career they wanted a very very defined role for him whether that was against calgary where nemeth is all defense and Makar is all offense or with gerard where they are the offensive minded pair and just use your speed and go fast but i think moving forward i think they can be a pair and i think it's something because they just have such an incredible advantage with them together. The way that they can control a shift, change the momentum of a game. And they are going to have to work on the defensive zone coverage when they're together. And I think it will get better. I think they're fine getting out of their own zone. It's just when things break down and get scrambly. But I feel like what happened in Game 5 was a lot of times if the defensemen get the puck, you still need help from the forwards. And... Sometimes when they get stuck in their own zone, it's not them, it's the forwards, but certainly the, the coverage will need to get sorted out. But you would never have thought going into bringing in Makar to the Avs that that should be a, a pair going forward. But I think what they've done together, you you have to you have to give it serious thought to to use it moving forward as a main pair and they probably will always shuffle around and and give different looks yeah because i mean you want to spread that talent out um the one you know sort of the one weakness i see when they're together in the defensive zone it's not really coverage it's more puck recapture or you know what what happens as soon as the puck is recaptured after a battle um you know they both they they've both had a, a couple of turnovers 
um, in, in situations like that, <clears throat> probably no worse than, than anyone else in the, on the defensive core, but it just, you know, if you're, if you're looking for something that might be a weak point between the two, that's probably it. I agree. And I also think that give McCarr two years and that won't be an issue for him anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the guy's under 10 games. You know, <laughs> the fact that he's even this good. At, right, at but like you capture. can see with Gerard, you, I'm not sure I see as much the ability to solve that problem yeah. as the years go forward with Makar. You can see he's going to be strong enough that once he gets the puck, eventually he's just not going to be able to have it taken away from him. Right. And I, I think Sam's quickness will help him as sort of a you know, I, I don't want to say crutch, but that's sort of what it is, is, you know, instead of being able to win a puck battle with his strength, um, he's going to be able to use his quickness more often than not, you know, but it it's always going to be something he's going to have to make up. Earl, your connection sorry. seems to be not very good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want us to continue? Yeah. Or, okay. Um... I also feel like Sam's maybe still protecting that shoulder a little bit, even though he's definitely taken hits in the last few games. But like when he was with EJ, he was by far the retriever that would go always go and get the puck. And then in his first couple games back, he really wasn't trying to be like the lone guy down there trying to retrieve the puck. And I think that's gotten better in the last few games, but when when he's a hundred percent, I think that will help as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just like Makar, as as they sort of grow and fill out, that's not going to be as much of an issue. Yeah, I mean, circling back a little bit, we talked about how a lot of the breakout problems for that pair are because of the forwards, and this ties into Gabe Landeskog not being one hundred percent because he is the defensive forward designated on pretty much no matter who he's playing with so he's always the guy down in the zone to be with them on the breakout and honestly he's struggling to even like handle the puck right now he is and that's tough because i mean he can break out like a defenseman and and when you're when you don't have that option at 100 percent, it, it, you know, it, it does hurt we'll talk more about game Ladiskog and uh maybe not necessarily being able to keep up with his normal pace of play Probably in game five. Um, but as of now, we've uh, only got through two of the games this week. Let's go ahead to game four on Thursday, which saw Colorado finally have a 10-shot first period, which is sad to call progress. But here we are. McKinnon, oh, man. Johnson, and Colin Wilson would score as Krubauer registers the shutout. Three to nothing, your final. This game was a shark's turn to be frustrated, to be able to get nothing going at all. Matt Calvert also returned for this game, and as we'll see in game five when he was out again... He seems to be bringing an element that the abs badly need, and I want to ask y'all what that is. Because I have some theories, but I want to hear yours too. Forechecking and energy, mostly. <laughs> um, but I, I really loved Game 4. I loved all of it, because for most of Game 1, 2, and 3, there were very clear sections of the game where one team was dominating and the other was struggling, and they never kind of lined up. And for the first time in Game 4, I think they did, where both teams were getting a roughly 50% success rate of what they were trying to do on the ice. And they matched up really well, and it made for great hockey, and the Avs managed to come out on top. 
Yeah, I, have a I different... agree with that. I have a different perspective of this game because I was at this one. And I, for me, it's always tough to compare like within a week. Say one game I've seen live and the rest on TV. I, it was a good game, but the experience of being there and watching it wasn't like fun. <laughs> it was very, very, very stressful. That third period, it just... It couldn't go fast enough. And it wasn't because... <laughs> And, and I will say, I think they all played well. They all did their job. That's why I, I said on the Discord that I was not going to complain about any anybody on the podcast because I feel like every single person in the lineup did something to preserve that game in the third period. So it wasn't like they were getting shelled and it, it, like a total turtle and you're just like, oh my god, they can't get through this. It's like they had control of it, but it, they were still just grinding it out. Right. And they were still just doing what they could to just chip away minutes. And to me, that it was hard to watch live. This game was not a shutout like the Andy game. No, they, no. They've been very <laughs> careful in this series to mention that the last three Avalanche playoff shutouts have been against San Jose. So we've seen, you know, Craig Anderson 51 save shutout a couple times. So that's why it's on the on, a, on, our, on our mind. Um, but this, like, he had help. Colorado had some sustained pressure in the third. They were doing well to limit what chance of the Sharks did get. Like, this was obviously Grubauer's shutout, but it was also a team shutout, too. Yeah, I think it was, getting back to Calvert, it was him, Nieto, and was it Jost? Uh, maybe Soderberg, whoever the third forward was. At, with, like, three minutes left in the third period, Burns took a shot from the point, and all three forwards, like, dove to block it at the same time. Which I mean, I appreciate the effort, but maybe don't trip maybe on it. not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that but that's what Calder brings, end. right? For yeah. some somehow, he is the one always doing that, and because he's doing it, people kind of follow him. Yeah, I agree with that. I you know, as you may have heard, I'm not the biggest Matt Calvert fan, um, and. In the Calgary series, I, I really thought he was kind of, you know, obviously he sustained some sort of injury in the final regular season game. Um, so I don't think he was anywhere close to 100% in that series. He blocked um, a shot with his nads. He sure did. And I think there was, I think it was probably more than that just because, you know, as painful as that is, it's, you know, not as debilitating as kind of what he displayed during that series, but, um, you know, I, I think he, I, I think he does bring an energy that that really no one else on the team has in in great supply, as far as sort of a, a, a kamikaze mentality, blocking shots, but it's not just that; it is forechecking style, um. It really is is unique on the Avs, where he's just fearless as far as what he's willing to do to go into corners and and forecheck the the defenseman in the offensive zone. So, um, you know, you definitely miss that. I I grudgingly admit. I I feel like it's a little bit more confirmation bias than oh boy, they missed Calvert. I think I think the momentum of this series after you saw how it was going to go has been fairly predictable so i i i don't think it was just like 
they don't know what to do because they don't have Van Calvert in the lineup. I, yeah, I I'm do, not saying that at all. <laughs> well, I do agree that he brings an energy. I I don't know that if the entire team should be should be unable to forecheck because he's not there. He doesn't play a ton of minutes. As it is, it's. <sighs> the thing is, in game three, I agree. Uh, I think at home, he's pretty easy to work around him and get matchups. At game five, I think it makes a big difference. And we'll get to this in game five, but the Avs really do not get the good matchups in San Jose. <laughs> so I like this conversation because <laughs> yeah, all of our don't. ideas are different. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with energy specifically. I don't think it has anything to do with the four check at all. So this is this is cool. Is it just the lineup? So th- so then you have to say, is it not necessarily what he brings? It's the is it the alternative? Is, is it putting Sven in the lineup? Which I know Earl, you you see the positives that he brings. Is it because what they do with the lines is different? Is it because then the fourth line gets pretty watered down when you have to dress all of Broussard, Andrew and Borg? Is that kind of, you know, degrading a little bit of what they could bring because they don't have Calvert in the lineup? I think those things are maybe just as much of a factor. Those are important. Those are definitely important. I'm going to see if I can bring you all around to my perspective here. Um, so what is one thing that people love to say about the Avalanche that is really not true? They're a one-line team. Uh, what's, okay, well, that's <laughs> not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> They have no depth. Well, they, they don't have much depth. That's kind of the <laughs> point here. Um, it's, it's that they're a really fast team, and they often have, you know, a couple of fast players, but as a unit, they're kind of, you know, sort of average in the speed department. Um, yeah, they don't play that fast, they that's don't for play sure. Fla- they do not play fast at all. Um, apart from the three-headed monster members, whether, whatever line those people are on. Um Matt Calvert doesn't have any hands to score with, but he can skate, and he gets you through the neutral zone with his speed. Colorado are struggling in the neutral zone right now because San Jose are just absolutely crushing them there, and with Matt Calvert out of the lineup, you've got McKinnon's line can get through the neutral zone, and sometimes the fourth line can dump through it if they get the space. Otherwise, it's a fight. I mean, I I agree with I, I agree with that. I mean, Calvert's speed definitely does help trying to break up the trap. But I, I mean, I also see you know he he's got fumbleitis with the puck because of his lack of puck skill sometimes. Uh, but yeah, sometimes he's not I mean, strong on the puck. Yeah, I, I I mean, I think you're right that you know whether he has fumbleitis or not, the speed that he brings is a positive as far as uh, the alternative. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah. I he's going to get you more zone entries than you would have if he isn't in the lineup. I guess we're all kind of boiling it down to the speed and taking it to different ends, like whether it's his breakout or his ability to cover range in the defensive zone, or in my case, he uses that speed to close the difference in, on the forecheck. Yeah, hey, I yeah. think we all see he brings value. I I don't think we're all saying it. It doesn't matter whatsoever that he's not in the lineup. I I just I don't know if you can say that was the difference between winning and losing, which I do believe in the playoffs, the margin 
it's slim to swing things either way. I just, I, I can't quite get there to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't put the losses on him not being in the lineup. I think he matters, but when you score one goal in a game and lose, that's not on Calvert not being there. Yeah, yeah and I, <laughs> and I know, like the intangibles and the heart and soul and all that, and you can say it doesn't matter. I do believe in some of that. I do believe you, you see a guy put his body on the line, make a play. You know, they see that, they notice that, they. The, the players always oh, so that and putting Kale Cassie in the Eagles lineup is a smart thing. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Calvert also didn't take out, you know, hurdle or something. Calvert so. can play hockey. If required. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm just pointing out the dangers of going down that path. Um, well, as a respected but, member of the team, not someone that you bring in off the street, you know, he's, he's, he's babysitting Makar, you know, they, these all fit, these all intangible things bring value as a veteran. Like, if you're going to use the veteran intangibles, I think it applies to him a lot more than someone like, say, Broussard. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not but like I, he I, went away. So if he's not in the lineup one game, I don't think they're all just like, where's the heart and soul? We don't know what to do. <laughs> like, like, they could remember three games ago and what he did to make a play. Yeah. So it is. I don't. Are we jumping into game five? I don't want to jump the gun here. Not until we talk about how much better Eric Johnson's game was in game four. Okay. Holy yeah. Shit. Which it, he was way better. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, that's what the Evs need to win this series, straight up from EJ. They need that for the rest of it, because the Evs defense needs to help Grubauer more. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about this when I, I broke down the game, but I mean, they don't need EJ to be a number one guy that's that's playing all the, all the minutes, but they do need him to be solid when he is on the ice, and that's what they got in game four. And I, that really did help a lot. So that's all we've got on Eric Johnson? Okay. Well, I mean, the goal was pretty cool, too. I honestly didn't it was, remember it was, that he scored a goal until I saw it in the game sheet while I was preparing for the it, show. It was <clears throat> nice he got the empty nutter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not his job to score. We know that. I mean, I think from there, that's a good place for him to score from. <laughs> <laughs> from so far downtown. Yeah, if he scores from there and get away, in these playoffs, I'll be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so finally on oh. Saturday. Wait, what one more thing about game four. Like Grubauer's shutout was something I think he really needed and the team really needed from him because before that he, he had a, like an eight eighty eight save percentage going into that game. And, you know, that's not all on him, and we've broken down a lot of things, um, a lot of reasons why he, he might have not looked as good as he did in the first round. But, um, you know, I, I think with a really good stopper kind of performance that he put up there, I, I think, you know, I, I think that's something that everyone needed to have in the back of their minds just going forward. Like, yeah. You know, it's like when we really need Grubauer to have a great game, you know, he. Yeah, I think Earl's I was... gone. <laughs> I, I think 
I think the Sharks are missing a lot of good opportunities. They they had some opportunities that they could have definitely converted on, and Grubauer certainly made some great saves. I feel like it was more that the Avs. I didn't feel like this. The Sharks were just screwing it up on their Groot own. The Avs played better in Game Five, despite not getting the shutout, is what I would yeah. say. I agree the Avs with that. Certainly did did things to disrupt San Jose in this game, and so yeah, I felt like. Obviously, you get a shutout in the playoffs. You played well, but he hasn't stolen a game, and he that's fine. Have tried, but he hasn't. He did everything he could in Game Five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was finally on Saturday. Game Five was back in San Jose, and the Avs just got pooped on. Grubauer makes thirty-seven saves. Colorado still can't score enough to make it happen. Two-one, your final. When the Avs got chances, they were usually really dangerous, but just nothing was getting by Martin Jones after Tyson Jost deflects a rebound past him late in the second without even realizing it was his goal. And they would often go one and done while struggling again to exit their own zone. Colorado had no periods that broke 10 shots on goal. The Sharks completely smothered Nathan McKinnon in this game. It was his first without a point in quite a while, and that was important, but he's been so sick that one game off can be forgiven, I feel. Oh, yeah. right, and this was also a Tim Peel joint, it bears mentioning, which every fan <laughs> of both teams hated normal stuff. Yeah. Let's, yep. uh, let, let's get our five minutes hate out of the way for officiating if we want to, and then get to the game. It's just unreal. <laughs> it's it's not even that Peel's biased to a team. He's not. It's just no, that right. something insane He's biased against hockey. In every game. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't it's almost like they sit around and they read the obscure rules in the rule book and figure out a way to call that in some game. It's just uncanny how something that you've never seen before will always happen in a Tim it, Peel game. It's the inconsistency, <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone gets cross-checked in the numbers, no call. Or actually, sorry, there was a call. And then McKinnon gets punched in the face, no call. <laughs> and it's just... Yeah. You know, how can you look at both of those plays and go, okay, this cross-check is more egregious than McKinnon getting punched in the face. But, yeah, or whatever, what whatever Z did going into that scrum, that, yeah. I, how would that deserve a penalty? I just can't even imagine. But well, It's like when Miko hits Brent Burns from behind, and Burns is already kind of off-balance and sort of crumples into the boards, and then Miko immediately gets cross-checked from behind into the boards in a more dramatic fashion, and Miko's yeah. the penalty and the retaliation isn't. It's like, I, yeah, I don't know why those things weren't just to take one from each side and move on. That That's allowing the players to police the game while you are also policing the game, and that's not how it works. It's it's like right. Evan said after the game, I, I don't know how any of the players on either team could have possibly known what a penalty was in that game. No, because yeah. you don't know what the standard is, exactly. And then, and then that's dangerous because you do want the players to be as tough and physical or whatever as, as they can. It's just, it's just stupid. I it's, agree. It's kind of funny though, because at the end of the day, when the refing is so bad, it almost negates it because both teams get shafted and rewarded at the same time. Yeah, it just makes for a dumb game. Like I, yeah. I think it's important to allow the players to, you know, have those scrums and let off, the energy that way it's like if you don't bleed off that energy it gets manifested in in worse ways so it, you know it's like a, yeah you gotta call some things but 
you know, you, you got to let things go, too. And it's just, I don't think the, they have the right feel it, for it. Again, it just boils down to consistency. If you're going to call something, call it. Don't call it half the time. Yeah. Well, it, also, what it makes is it, it makes it a special teams game. So then basically, it was special teams that, that wins the game. Is the Avs couldn't convert. I mean, and, they spent 15 minutes of the game with one shot on goal, and about half that time they couldn't even cross the red line. So, so that, well, that sure, one I'm shot on saying... goal was bullshit, by the way. <laughs> the, the shot counter was like, oh, Kale McCart just skated in and then skated out, I guess. No, uh, no shot there. <laughs> and that wasn't the only yeah, one that was I know. missed. I know. The, yeah, the, the shot inconsistency is crazy. And then people use shot data is gospel it's just yeah it's very frustrating it i mean i don't you want a team to be able to win and lose at five on five like you you want your team to be able to dictate the game and score five on five but it's like when you get when you're in a certain game and it is a special teams game and you are given power plays because they're calling a lot of bullshit you have to be able to do something with it like Sure, we all want them to do everything five on five, but it's like you have an opportunity. Maybe you didn't play your best game. Maybe you didn't get a shot in 15 minutes, but you're on the power play now. Put the puck in the net and win this game. And they sure. okay. do that. Yeah. A, cu- a couple of things there. They didn't even out the power plays. All right. It, you know, like Sharks had five, Avs had three. That's not right. You know, it's like I, that game was fairly even in my eyes. Like, I, I could have taken four for the Avs and, and five from the Sharks, maybe, and, and been good with it. But it's, you know, a two penalty differential just didn't reflect the play on the ice. So, you but know, what I'm saying is that's they where had the refing comes plays. into it. What's that? I'm saying they had three power plays. Like this, this was a night where they needed one of them and it well, would have changed the game. Pretend they had five like the Sharks did. Maybe it would have been different. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, the way the Avs power play goes is they'll have, you know, five, six, ten, twenty horrendous power plays, and then one, it'll just all click, and they score. And, you know, you just never know when that's going to pop up. And I think when you get sort of robbed of a couple of chances they should have had on the power play, then, you know, that could have turned the game. I mean, you had zero shots on goal in three power plays. Yeah, it was terrible. The power play you can't, was terrible. You just can't say that a, that a power play that that's it, that is that inconsistent. It's just, you have to be better. Oh, yeah. Right, that's no, what I mean, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you look at the shot rates between... I, I looked at the shot rates between San Jose and, and the Avs, and, and we're talking, you know, apples to apples per 60 here. It's like, the, you know, the Sharks were had 40% more Fenwick. Um, you know, the, the shot rate was... The Sharks had nine times as many shots on goal. Yeah. I, I actually want to get into the, the Fenwick thing a little bit because the Avs just on command were firing shots into players from the point in Game 5. Like, over and yeah. over and over. It was bad. Yeah. And so um, what do you do and if when you... every shot from the point is blocked? You work it down low. What do the Avs refuse to do? Shoot from anywhere except the point. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that's... I just, you know... It was... I, I know we've all had it with the power play, but I just... When when Jared Bednar says they got to move their feet and yada, yada, yada after the game, I mean, I'm just looking at him like, look, 
you know, this is what they're being instructed to do. And if it's not, I don't know how, why you're not correct. You know, I, I just, I don't have any sympathy for him when he's complaining about what the guys are doing on the ice on the power play. You know, this is not something new. This has happened all year. It happened a lot of last year. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I, know I, I don't know how you can sit serious. there as a coach and be like, <laughs> well, the guys just aren't doing it. I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, just we so frustrating this, as a fan to watch. Saying all the stuff we complain about. They're not shooting. They're not moving. Yeah, that was hilarious. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were even saying that when it was like 35%. We're like, this isn't going to last. Yeah. What is the little bald guy standing next to you on the bench telling him to do? I mean, that's you know, his job. To get- <laughs> that's that's power play guru Ray Bennett yeah. to you, sir. <laughs> or if you're wizard. telling them to do something different and they're not doing it, put someone else there. Like, should yeah. they go radical for this game six? Should they put Makar on power play one? Should they do something different, or should they, they should, just keep doing the same thing? And it's hoping? very easy. Just say anyone who doesn't move their feet for more than three seconds on the power play is off the power play. So how yeah, are you going to have I, a power I mean, play with three skaters? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think that power play two is better, and sometimes they are, but it, I mean, they really aren't all that much. I mean, I, that's that's what tells me a lot of this is coaching. So. Well, I mean, how many times? And, and they obviously, ever get a the goal? talent is there to create a goal. So, if like you're not getting times, it out of them, I don't know what to tell you. How many times does Power Play Two get like a full real opportunity? A lot of times they get thirty seconds, not even like a full thing. Yet in Game Five, they had that great play to Jost, who he should he should have scored on that when McCarr yeah. passed it to Jost. So. That was probably the best chance they had in the power play all game in game five. So, so yeah, is it the system? It probably is the system, but the players don't move their feet, don't execute, don't pass. If they have a problem with that, then they should have recognized that a long time ago. But that does bring up the question, how much do you change now going into an elimination game? Do you try to come up with something different or do you say our philosophy has been to keep doing the same thing and hoping for better results all year just keep I mean, doing I just, it i don't know how you can change that much going into a game like this you just yeah. put yeah. someone else on it no you how can the plan for pp1 is going to be get mac the puck and have him be the hero that's it in an elimination game you just can't go away from that <laughs> It's this came really up in the can. Discord last night, and I don't think anything different than I thought last night, which was it. This is game uh, ninety three. Like it, in this, what the power play needs is a systemic overhaul, and anything right. else is just gonna be like putting unfamiliar players in that situation together. Yeah, and you're, I mean, obviously what they're doing now is absolutely not working at all. Um. But I don't know how much you really can change without expecting it to get worse before it gets better, and you don't have time for that. Yeah, this isn't an exam you can cram for by learning a semester's worth of biology in three hours. <laughs> right. Just, you have what you have, so um, you know, make the best of it and try not and try not to let it lose the series and the season for you. Um, you know, be better at five v five. Don't take penalties even if they're hilarious 
<laughs> like when Tyson Berry hip checks Evander Kane and he goes over him in slow motion and it's God, I wish I'd killed that penalty because it was so funny. Yeah. And I I just hate it when they give a goal right before the end of the period. It's just like Yeah, that's always I, I think they gave away the game right there. <laughs> yeah. It's just like they had to. If they could have gone in that third period with the lead, it would have been so much different. Yeah. But it was a good goal. It's, the, it's I, the same I, goal Colorado likes to score on their power play with a, a shot from the point that gets just a shot pass that gets deflected in from the slot. They like that play too. I kind of yeah. do miss actually seeing goals that are shot in the net. You know that the magic bullshit, as you call it, is 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 a good way to score because sometimes you need that. I do miss like an actual skilled goal. That there were a few that could have happened last the night. Voodoo laws of the Shark Tank. So yeah. <laughs> Like when McKinnon had got that great pass from a car and he was in the slot and then he just decided to pass to Zadorov for some reason. Yeah, that to be fair, <laughs> that play almost worked. <laughs> yeah. Zadorov was a righty, like And I know yeah. Miko was there right by I think the, the the big idea was Miko was right there by the net back door. I think maybe that was like the big picture thinking there, but it was like, oh my god, McKinnon's in the slot and he didn't shoot the puck. But so, it, it, that it was weird. Um, what McKinnon I, I, sees there is Timo Meyer's yeah. stick basically on his stick. He like if he takes a shot, it's going straight into the netting. Yeah, and that that had been happening all night too. The Avs pulling the trigger just seemed a half second late, and the Sharks were always having their sticks right in there, so they couldn't really get it off. And McKinnon. Especially, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I wanted McKinnon to be more selfish last game. <laughs> because the Evs are just a better team when he shoots the puck, and he just wasn't. Yeah, he, yeah, that was the most tilted in a game that we've seen Nathan McKinnon maybe ever. Like, the only thing he didn't do was yell at Jared Bednar. <laughs> yeah. No, and... The the great hope is that it's just it's weird. It was one game, and that you know the all the other games he's had that were wonderful during the playoffs is what he's going to look like on Monday night. And of course, they were focusing on him. Like the Sharks do deserve some credit there, but McK- I, he was not a, on the A game there either. I, he he looked even lethargic at times, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that's that's just the frustration seeping through to where it's just like, good lord, I, if I can't do anything, what's even the point? But that's where this discussion needs to go, in my opinion, because when Nathan McKinnon is getting double and triple teamed, he's on a line with Miko Rantanen and Gabe Landeskog, who are totally capable of doing things with that space. And nothing happened with that space. I, I thought Miko had a good game yesterday, so... Miko's a weird guy. <laughs> because Miko can spend weeks looking like he sucks and then you look at that week and he has 20 points and it's yeah. like what <laughs> but i mean when he... sure we know when he's bad like when he first came back from the injury like he couldn't really do much but i think ever since midway through the calgary series he's been pretty decent and consistently decent too yeah I... again much like mckinnon i think miko needs to shoot more um that's always we always feel that we feel that way about Miko Rantanen. Yeah. Uh, and then, but it, it makes it hard, especially because the whole line, I think, because they've been using the three-headed monster, uh, is pretty affected by Landis Gog not being one hundred percent. 
it, everything's just a little bit off because the passes aren't quite where they need to be. And I think in the back of at least Miko's mind is the idea that, you know, maybe Landy needs a little bit of help being the high forward that has to cover. And I think Wilson's going to owe Miko like $1 million or whatever he gets paid this summer by whatever team because his, like you said, put your stick on the ice, get to the net. Miko will do it, has greatly benefited him. So you're telling me he's going to be a 20-goal scorer next season on on the same line with Connor McDavid? <laughs> no, he'll just get paid like one. Because that's what you do. You go to the, near the net and put your stick on the ice and just let it happen. <laughs> um, and Wilson's one thing good at I that. did not like... Wilson's <clears throat> good at being in that heavy abuse area and still you know, having his stick be useful. That's how he scored his goals this game. Sure, yeah, I mean part of the process too but Miko's definitely helped that <laughs> um, one thing I did not like about this game was the three headed monster being back together uh, I didn't I like just, that I, they stuck with it so relentlessly because it obviously wasn't getting anywhere right and I just I, I don't think it's very effective as an everyday every shift kind of line I, I think it's so much more effective when Miko and Mac are split up and then they can surprise, here they are, um, you know, right in the middle of the game or something like that. I just, I, I know on paper, it's like you, you should be able to put these three guys together and, you know, it, it creates a disaster for the opposing team. But it just, it, it hasn't worked like that in months. So I, I, you can't do it. It's, I think it's like- it might circle back to Calvert being out of the lineup, honestly. Because one... They already double shift pretty much everyone on the top line anyway, but they did it significantly more in Game 5. Both McKinnon and Rantanen were taking a lot of double shifts. And then on top of that, they had Tyson Jost moved up to the second line as well. So sort of. It be- Which is yeah. funny, because yeah, he played 10 minutes, so is that really the second but line? But he was playing with the second line guys. Right. Um, so take every shift. Right. It, it it felt like a situation where Bednar thought he was backed into a corner and had to do this. And whether he did is definitely up for debate, but I, I can see where he's coming from. Well, one other issue is that Soderberg has also been hit with either old or Eichel taking his zest away or whatever it is. But he's also been ineffective, seen his minutes drop. They can't really use him as the second-line crutch anymore, which also causes a problem and does make it make more sense to split Miko away and try to create more of a real third line, or sorry, second line. I think going into next season, I probably would just put the top line back together. Well, yeah, your second line's going to be awesome because you're going to have yeah. like, a <laughs> on it. But right, right. right now, like, the, the only problem with breaking up Three-Headed Monster is... You've got to put someone back on that right wing, and do you want it to be the absolutely dreadfully cursed Alex Kerfoot? Listen, no. <laughs> here's the thing. When Joe scored his goal yesterday, it was the frat line. It was. My hot take after game three was put Jost with McKinnon and Landeskog. I'll stick with it. I, I, I don't think that's well a terrible try. idea. I do. I... Ugh. <clears throat> I, you know, I'd try it. I don't think it'll work, but I, I, I mean, whoever you end up putting there, like I'd be fine with Miko with Kerfoot and Wilson, 
Um, you know, if you wanted to do something like that as your second line and keep Carl and friends together with the vets, um, you know, I, I, I think they've rotate enough guys through there that, that you should have a pretty good idea of how you can spread the talent out. But I just, I, I, I think you should save the three headed monster for surprises. And when you really need it, I, I just, you know, in the, in the first part of games, it, it really doesn't seem to do anything. You just, I, I don't even hate Kerfoot with McKinnon and Landeskog. But I don't you hate, I need think he's been to, great there. You need to Can't put finish. him in an offensive zone position to where he's not the guy shooting. You just need to do that. <laughs> if you right. do that, I, it's perfect. And, and I know. Look, People theoretically, about- with McKinnon and Landeskog as the other two guys with him... It should be him passing all the time. And why is he the guy that always seems to find the space to get into um, to be in the position to miss the shot or to put it right into the logo? Because he I mean, went right, to Harvard. They don't the even bother covering him. <laughs> so. He right. is very smart. He complained he needs to shoot more, and then we see why he yeah, prefers right. not to. We're like, he's got a 25% shooting percentage. He's obviously in good places. Stop giving up good shots. Oh... <laughs> yeah i just i you know i i love the way he's played with those guys it, it's just you don't want him you know you don't want to depend on him having to finish something off to to score a goal just just gotta get to the dirty areas and start using his ass for more goals again <laughs> the butt goals were his key needs i yep. need to see one more fake point before the season's over come on <laughs> It does beg the question who will score an actual goal, goal first between Broussard, Soderberg, and Kerfoot? Or no will any of them? <laughs> so the, the most likely is Carl because with how cursed he is, I do not believe Alexander Kerfoot will score again until it's overtime of game seven of some series. <laughs> That's true. I'll put my money on Nemeth. <laughs> Nemeth? <laughs> Speaking of scratches, let's O'Connor. do scratches and scratches. Oh yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a little bit of, of tiny news. The Avs brought up a whole bunch of black aces this week and didn't use any of them. And probably that will won't. never play. Yeah, yeah, none of them are gonna play. They brought up a whole bunch of guys that don't matter because they weren't making the team anyway, right? People still Pretty understand much. that reference, right? Oh yeah. Does anyone know if they actually went to San Jose? Not I don't clear. think so. I don't think so. I don't know um, definitively, but I don't think so. I'll That's take a lot the of guys easy that... star if we're jumping into that uh, of Grubauer, just to have a mea culpa and say that I was wrong about him, and not in the sense that like obviously he's played great, and I don't know if this is who he is really, but I didn't think he was ever going to even show starter level talent, and he clearly has. So good on him and i'm like i'm significantly more confident about our goaltending going into the future i mean as an aside on the trade i i still think the big picture of this idea of the goaltending moving forward is still a little bit jury out we'll see what they do about the backup but i agree that he needed to show that he could carry a team in, in a playoff series at the end of the season and he's done that so he definitely deserves a star for that. Yeah, I mean, I, considering what he went through last season with playing the first two games for Washington and getting yanked and, you know, watching another guy win the cup, um, you know, he is 
he has made it far past that, and and I, I think he's taken this team, you know, farther than just about anyone expected. So, yeah. well done, sir. I mean, they they wouldn't even be in the position to take Calgary in five games and be sitting here in game six of the second round if it wasn't for Grubauer in the at the end of the season. So, <clears throat> like that well, my he had star... already done, and then to continue it is okay. Awesome, good step for you. Who's your star? I would say. Turn and burn Gerard and McCarr together, or if I have to, I think Gerard's been pretty darn good the last few games. But if you, ha- if I had to pick one of them, I'd say McCarr, which we didn't even talk that much about. But he has been unreal. Yeah, I love the the one or two shifts per game where the you hear the sweet Georgia Brown music playing in the background, and they're kind of <laughs> looking like the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, you know it. <laughs> You you only see that a couple times per game right now, but it, you can sort of imagine two three years hence that that's going to be very regular. Um, so, uh, just you know, it just makes you want to smile. <laughs> the one thing I love watching them live is I Gerard's skating looks different live than it does on TV. I mean, it's good on TV, but every time I see him live. I'm like, I could just pay to watch him just go up and down the ice. It's just, it's a sight to behold. And then Makar Live, I thought it'd be the skating that would, would leave an impression on me, but it was more his intelligence and the way he sees the ice. And you, you could, like, see what he's thinking when he's doing it, and it's, it's pretty neat to see. So I, he's... One thing I wanted to ask you about being there live is, like, you know, you can see him hitting people and being physical, but it you know it really doesn't translate 2D. What what is his physical game like when you're watching it live? I was down there by when I think it was Hurdle that he handled in the beginning of that game. Right, yeah, game four. Yeah, I mean that looked that looked like the real deal there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that looked like he was gonna push that guy over. <laughs> I I love the Hurdle thing, but I also loved I called it the Yeet that he did on, I think it was Burns who was bearing down on him, maybe it was Vlasic. In the defensive zone in the corner, he, like, dumps the puck back behind his net and has about .2 seconds and just, like, teleports himself three feet to the left. <laughs> and Vlasic <laughs> just crashes into the boards. That was, that was Burns. I remember okay, that was Burns. Burns. Okay, yeah, so, like, I, like, everyone was looking at him and was like, there's no way Makar's not getting hit here, and he somehow doesn't. <laughs> It, it went yeah. from uh-oh to LOL in a hurry. Yeah. I'll throw a no, star it's... in the general direction of Matt Nieto, who had two goals this week, which is at least one more than you would expect from him to have in a week of playoff hockey, so well done there. He has been the depth scoring, and that's really, really important. That is pretty crazy. He has four goals in the playoffs. He had four goals all year. Then what was he at? Something like, what, was it 16 last year, which is also crazy so i guess he was just saving them but yeah, yeah he's he's like a, a different piece of the depth has stepped up you had comfer and lieto and there even borg scored a goal like there's been different guys but i agree that um lieto has been he's definitely stepped up his game yeah Absolutely. i think his speed has been really good um you know it's it, it i i think anytime you can take you know 
anytime you're able to use Matt Nieto's speed in a positive and offensive way, it's it's you know it's a big multiplier for what they can do offensively. Um, my star is going to go to Tyson Jost, who yep gets a pretty endless amount of abuse uh, for not living up to expectations yet. But he has toiled away on the fourth line and not scored for a long time. They put him up in the lineup, and he scores. So, Yeah, almost uh, every I, game of the playoffs, you've looked at Jost and gone, he's been really good. A very well <laughs> Just needs yeah. to score. Just yeah, need more just... time and better line mates. And boy, we're, we're, we were right about that one. Yeah, you, you hope it. You always hope it's something he can build on. And as far as... It, you know, I'm not there at practice, but the one practice I was at and what people have said is he's out there every optional practice, every single one, and he's working with the skills coach. Like, he's doing what he can control pretty much, and I think it is a testament to that, that it is paying off, maybe not so much on the score sheet, but you, you hope this is like the beginning of something for him. We'd like to see I mean, it continue I, into next October for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them not scoring when he's on the fourth line like that because generally they don't score. And what they do well is, you know, they basically enter the zone, play around for a bit, hit some guys, and then shoot it right into the goalie's chest so the first line can get a face off. And I think <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. But I mean, as far as, like, for right now, that's fine. But you, you know, we need more from Joe's than that. Yeah, when he's playing up the lineup, yeah, I do expect him to, you know, at least be a part of goals or, you know, at least create some good scoring chances and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think they added more responsibility to his, what what they were giving him, and he took it well. And, you know, I, I think he's earned another start, you know, at least in sort of that third-line role. I hope so. I hope if Calvert does come back, they do keep him – Higher in the lineup. Who is scratching? They just might. Apart from tough. Tim Peel, because that's an easy one. Yeah, yeah. We I need mean, more I, from know. Soderberg. Yeah. I, I know we scratched him recently, but he just... He really hasn't been good. Soderberg's a pretty yeah, easy pick, I, for sure. Yeah, I I think my problem with Carl is not so much the scoring. It's just the the stuff that he does when he's not scoring generally is is not as good as it as it was during this most of the season. Well, he could always um, give you a beast mode shift, and he right. just hasn't done that in weeks. Yeah, it's like that that heavy cycle shift that you see every once in a while. That just you know, he's able to. You create a shift that tires out the defense, and then gradually, one by one, the first line is able to come on and take advantage of that. And it's just, you know, that that's something that he's not creating right now. That that you'd really like to see as much as you know, an assist or a goal here or there. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go a little outside the box here and scratch. How much the San Jose Sharks whine to the refs? 
it is like an ungodly amount that every single whistle they're whining about something and this is a team that the only reason they're in this round is because they got a terrible major call <laughs> so yeah i mean when their problem was at, after what it was game one or two that that whole icing that miko beat vlasic and was maybe a little borderline or whatever, but I mean, to complain about an icing is pretty hilarious. Yeah, pr pretty digging deep on there. But you know, now at this point, they had a goal taken away by the refs. Is you know, maybe now they have something to complain about, even though they did end up winning that game. So at least it won't be like a big flagpole of of injustice. It's not even like forward. it's like every play, specifically Couture and Kane. Every single yeah. freaking play, they are yelling at the refs after something happened. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Which is just funny because we're not. I I really don't feel like we're a dirty or no push the envelope gray area team. It's just funny. It's like you're complaining about the abs. Come on. <laughs> really? Like this is a team whose fan base consistently whines about how soft they are. Yeah. So I mean, Carl would have been my scratch. I'm gonna have to pass. I don't really have anybody that's anywhere close to that. I mean, I could I could pick off some low hanging fruit, but we're not doing that. Yeah. Instead, let's scratch this news story that I just saw as I was checking the score in the Dallas St. Louis game. Um, headline. Pavelski will travel with Sharks for Game 6 against Avalanche. Boo! I don't, he won't I, you play. know, yeah. even I, if they stitched him up like Frankenstein, I just can't see him being any kind of effective. I, I mean, maybe they'll, they'll give the team a boost by being on the ice or on the bench, maybe, but I just I can't see him being the Avs killer. I, that, that I don't think he, he plays unless we force Game 7. To be yeah. honest, you'd like to think you can play tomorrow," said Pavelski, who spoke publicly Sunday for the first time since the injury. But we're going to be smart, obviously. Definitely getting closer. Feel like I'm getting closer. Feel like I want it. Apparently, when he rolled out into the into the arena during Game Five and riled the crowd up a little bit, like he really kind of got a boost from that. I was like, okay, I need to be back out there. So he will be there well, as I soon mean... as he can get there. <laughs> if that's what he what it needed. For him to feel like he really wanted to come back, he really, really like me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, all I'm saying is it's just feeling that it, energy and and getting through that without having a whole bunch of concussion symptoms slap you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if the sharks are facing elimination, I think a lot of those symptoms might magically disappear. I'll just well, put he, it that way. He might he might be with the team as sort of you know like a raw raw. You always see that like some guy goes down and. It's usually in like some unfortunate right. way, and everyone's like, "Do it, so. do it for you know, Skippy." Kind of, like it's almost like every championship team <laughs> needs like they're doing for Skippy moment. I I agree. I think we see him in Game Seven. I, think I still happens. think it's iffy, but yeah, we'll see. That's true. It, that's true. If they really need him, but then again, a guy that hasn't played in over a week. Who kills the uh, abs, so he'll yeah. have a goal instead of four. <laughs> the series will end this week. If Colorado win game seven, we'll bring you an episode before the Western Conference final begins, whatever day that may be. But if they lose the series, we'll see you again at the normal time. 
Uh, game six is on Monday, eight o'clock Mountain on NBC Sports, CBC, and Sportsnet, as well as whatever TVAS is. I'm not sure which version of TVA that is. Game seven, if they make it there, will be at an unknown time. Hint, it will be eight o'clock Mountain in San Jose on Wednesday. Two questions. Will there be a game seven? And will the Avs survive the series? Yes, then yes. Earl the Optimist. I don't think they're winning this series. I think they can win game six. Will they? Yeah, I'll say they can do it. But I think they're not going to win game seven. Yeah, they did enough to convince me they can make a game seven, but Shark Tank is Shark Tank. I I mean, what I really don't expect is what we saw in game six last year at the Pepsi Center. Right. They're Um, they're not just going to get pummeled into the dirt. Yeah, I, no, I, no, this is completely different. Like, Yeah, they're not yeah, going to just run out of gas and, and capitulate. I actually it. expect the opposite. I think the Avs are going to smoke game six. You know, we yeah, haven't I mean, had our token overtime game yet, so... I'm that's going to be seven, close. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not where Kerfoot's going to win the whole thing for us. Exactly, but game, no, game six is, is very brazilable. Just from, yeah. you know... Being, having it's one team with the back against the wall. Because I do believe they can win. And I think they have done some things well. And done enough well. That they do have a chance to win the series. But it's also you have to be. Or at least I feel like. You have to be mentally and emotionally prepared. For it to be the end. And since I'm the not, don't ever feel like. Ever giving us closure. Just the thought of them going poof in the night. Never to be heard from again is a bit distressing. Well, so I have to be ready for that. I can't roll on just the we're going to win all these games and it's <laughs> going to continue. Like you have to be ready for seeing that this could be the end. I'm always That's glad why. when the series goes six because that means that the Pepsi Center either gets to give the team a very well deserved send off after this run. Or they get to, you know, give them a very well-deserved send-off into Game 7, one or the other. Like, they get to show their appreciation. Yeah. Yep. In a way, and this doesn't no- feel right after a sweep, and doesn't happen after 5. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they made this a real series. And, you know, I know we're going to get into reflection and all that when it's over. But they're very much in this series. Like, it was tied twice. They won in San Jose. They... They have made life tough for San Jose. As good as they are, as structured and mature, there are cert- definitely certain times when they can't handle the Avs. And I think that's been cool to see. And so that gives me reason to think that they can win one or two more games. I don't think there's anybody think- in good faith arguing, well, they can't possibly win another game, and they def- and the- or that they can't possibly win two more games. It's... Just the likelihood, kind of like you said, Game 6 is is winnable, but not a sure thing. And Game 7, anything can happen in a Game 7, but that's a tough ask. Especially after San Jose just came back from the brink three times in a row. They didn't, they'll just get into another Game 7, and they can just keep rolling with that energy. And the Avs are like, woo, we haven't been here. So. Well, I mentioned this last night before the game, but kind of a cool thing is that no matter what happens, here they're guaranteed of a winning record through this series you know even if they they end up losing the series whether it's on monday or wednesday um and that's kind of cool i mean 
no matter what, they've won more games than they've lost. And, and we've gotten to experience that as fans. You know, it's like there's no sweep. You know, it's not like uh, trudging through a series where you're down by two games a lot. And, you know, they've performed very well throughout this whole postseason. So, and, and, and I think that record reflects. Definitely. All right, so we've been going for about an hour and a half, so I'm going to ask you for parting shots, and then we're going to let the people get on with the rest of their day. Just enjoy every minute of Makar and Gerard together, and however many games we have left, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, but this team is really good, and they're going to be better next year, so take everything you can. I'm really stoked for Monday. <laughs> I'm anxious. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I'm just trying not to think about it until it happens. I'm a little on edge. I got some things to do between now and then, so I try to keep my focus straight. But like I said before the show, my focus is everywhere right now, so it's kind of hard to not go sit there and think about, oh, they're going to be in game six soon. Um, but I'm I'm with y'all. I mean, this, these could be the last one or two games of the season, so if you don't you know, if you don't sit there and relish them and enjoy the good moments when they happen, then I really don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> Heaven forbid the series doesn't go our way. The season never dies on my YouTube channel, so you can you'll be able to relive all the highlights there once it's over. I I guess I have to make a public ask for you to make a turn and burn comp compilation. <laughs> we are gonna need that to get us through the summer. Hasn't been have, good enough that she keeps saying that in the staff channel. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have like a whole, I have a good 20 to 25 clips of Sam spinning since he's been here all year. <laughs> so. Oh, we got to see the magic I, together though. That That's the true fireworks. And I'm actually going to make a request that you, you make maybe a short clip with Sweet Georgia Brown playing in the background. <laughs> I already made one with Rhapsody in Blue playing. So <laughs> that one was great, but is it is it one. even a real NHL highlight pack if it doesn't have like terrible butt rock playing in the background though? <laughs> <laughs> like who whoever decided? Well, I'm gonna upload every good thing that that uh, Peter Forsberg did in you know whatever season. And then it's like, what's the worst song I can find? Yes, this one. <laughs> the guitars sound like mud. The lyrics are incomprehensible. But when you can hear them, God, they're corny. The drumming is boring. This is the song. Yeah, you could probably cut this out, but I have developed a passionate hate for highlights with music in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say classic rock sucks worse, so... Well, anyway, um, I'm not cutting that out because it was very short. Um, <laughs> Fair. You can catch the next episode of the same place you found this episode, which is the SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or iTunes or Google Play Music Podcast, whatever the actual name of that thing is. I don't use it. I don't know. Um, or, you know, the other places that let you catch podcasts from the RSS gods and ghosts and whatever runs that system. We post every episode on burgundyrainbow.com as well as lots of awesome stuff you should go read that Earl breaks down games and Jackie does prospect stuff and all kinds of other awesome things happen. And the draft.
less than seven weeks away. So it's going to be real. Coming up real soon. What a time to be alive. (laughs) 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 So everybody, we are in it right now and i can't tell you when the next show is coming because i don't know what the abs future holds but as soon as we have a schedule in place you'll know about it on uh, it'll be like the only time i ever actually tweet from ab burgundy radio I'm, i was said i was going to do better about that this year and then i that was a lie but i'm hoping to use that for more in-game stuff in the future but for now get your head up and keep the dirty areas and we will see you after this series whatever happens I always worry about that. I'm like, I hope they don't... Sometimes they just, like, focus on somebody and they keep the camera there. I'm like, I would be yeah, horrified. That's my most viewed clip of all time this year. It's just <laughs> Was the, the stoned guy? Yeah, the camera sitting on guys stoned off of this planet for, like, ten seconds. <laughs> 500,000 people watched it. Like, what? 500,000? Yeah. Why are you... What? 500,000? Yep. Is that 500,000 plays or 500,000 unique plays? Or plays, not unique. Still, Jesus. I didn't know if you Did could tell or not. Yeah. Somewhere? No, I mean, you can't, but it's plays. It's not unique. Even if 100,000 people watched it five times, that's still a lot. <laughs> Did it get linked on, like... It got linked on Reddit in, like, six different places. <laughs> I... It made it to the top of our hockey, and then I think someone got it, like, fairly high up on our all, so... Jeez. (laughs) It's it's like, there's no value in this clip, either. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I... Look how high these fucking goobers are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what did you title it? I titled it, These Guys Are On Another Planet Right Now. <laughs> was Boy. it in Denver? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. 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 One, of the, one of the people, <laughs> it's actually a regular of the Av subreddit. <laughs> oh, so he was like, that's me? He's like, that's me. I swear, we were just tired, and I had really dry <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Please don't fire me is what that post is.